Hello. What I've got for you here is a collection of snippets and message responses, just disparate things that I've recorded over the past few weeks. I've cobbled them together and I'm calling it an episode. I just hope it isn't too disjointed. And thanks for indulging me. Come, we've lost precious time. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. And make a part in about time too about not playing D&D. It was free for all and I heard him say he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick cause you're incapable A-A-M's. My name's Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall. And welcome to Keep Off the Borderlands. I've been spending a lot of time entertaining a baby. Have a night. Just been busy doing daddy things. Hey. Yeah, I, I just... Uh, bunch of messages I need to respond to really I'm going to be sharing those and uh, talk a bit about I don't know I don't know what I talk about let's be honest <laughs> so without further ado let's get into those messages shall we Hey Spencer, congratulations on the new baby. It's been a while, so I haven't I haven't haven't been around, but I'm around now. I want to say congratulations. I also enjoyed the image of walking down the scary area with a little candle. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. All right, that's it for me. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Hey Ivy, so great to hear from you. I've got to say, I've been so pleased to see the Happy Whisk podcast pop up in my feed once again. I can't get enough of your energy. Just fantastic stuff. But I'm sure I speak for many a gamer when... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're focusing on decluttering. Uh, a little bit triggering, perhaps. My wife is a bit of a declutterer, and I like stuff. So it's a bit of a contentious issue, as Jeremy Frofsoff Smith was saying on a recent episode of uh, the Thought Eater podcast, the Hump Day Bloggerama. I think our feelings around stuff like that are very much to do with how we've been raised. And, well, I'm sure I could do an entire podcast about that. <laughs> Although, I wouldn't hold your breath. But, yeah, great to hear from you, Ivy. Hope you're well. And, uh, yeah, keep those episodes coming. On the subject of decluttering, I happened to hear Pete Jones of Dragons Are Real talking about doing a little decluttering himself and he decided to uh, get rid of his free league stuff and I saw that Forbidden Lands was on the list. Now Forbidden Lands is a game 
I've been umming and ahhing about picking up ever since I discovered it. And, well, it was just a deal too good to miss. I saw my opportunity. I swooped in and grabbed that. The box arrived today. Pete kindly threw in some extra dice and the deck of cards that go along with that. And, uh, yeah, a nice little box set that is too. A couple of faux leather hardback books in there. Funnily enough, I'd recently seen a few YouTube videos from solo gamers talking about how good the box set was for solo gaming. The books are full of random tables. You've got that lovely map. And I kind of picked it up with a view of maybe using it for soloing myself. So let's see where that goes. If you're listening, Pete, thanks very much. Very pleased with my purchase. Next up, I've got some sweet, sweet messages from Joe Richter of Hindsightless and Wheel of Woe. And he's got a bit to say about playing online and accessibility. Yo, Spencer, super good to hear a new episode from you, man. I've missed him, so I'm glad you're back. I fully get how busy you must be, man. Like, good for you for being able to game at all. And the fact that you have any time to put out an episode is just awesome. I wanted to talk a little bit about you were saying about how you're feeling more immersed without all the visual aids and stuff. And I wanted to share a story with you about a game that I just... Got to play in my first ever session of League of Eternal Guardians. So let me talk about that a little bit. So Barney is doing an amazing, amazing, altruistic, noble job of making sure that his game is accessible to as many people as possible, including folks with visual disabilities. Uh, I am very loosely helping him with that a little bit, but he is going so far above and beyond what, you know, 90% of game designers do. And so for that, Barney, you're awesome. Um, On that note, I got to play in a game the other day with Barney running League of Eternal Guardians, and uh, the other player was a uh, totally blind player that he had met on a, on a Facebook group for, I think, handicapped gamers, basically. And she signed up right away and decided to play. And as soon as we got the game going, which that took a while, but when <laughs> tech stuff sucks. Anyway, once we got the game going, I, I noticed in her, and it's a thing that I've noticed in some of my other blind friends that I have that when you're describing things and you're using visual cues in your descriptive words, that really tends to get to people that don't use their vision. Like it affects them, I think more than it affects people that look at shit every day. Um, it's just they're 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 constantly having to imagine and envision what they're seeing on an everyday basis that they've honed those skills. So when Barney was talking about these super gross 
Eldritch Terrors that we were fighting. Yes, he threw our two PCs up against two Eldritch Terrors, which are the highest tier monsters in his game. <laughs> anyway, his descriptions, and then I would throw in some, and they were totally squeegeeing her out in like a really fun, exciting way. She was super happy, having a blast, and just getting totally grossed out. And it was just... You know, it was really cool, really refreshing to have somebody get that immersed into it just because, you know, that's one of the one of the benefits of not having your vision is your imagination, your visualization techniques are far better honed than folks that can see. So, you know, we're right there with you, dude. Peace out. Thank you for some wonderful messages there, Joe. Uh, Joe used a word there that might stick out to British ears, handicap, which is something that you wouldn't really hear anymore in the UK. We tend to prefer terms like disability or impairment, but I'm aware that that's just a cultural thing. That's not the case across the pond, and um, it's just one of those little differences. That sounds awesome what Barney is doing there going out of his way above and beyond to ensure that the game is accessible to as broad an audience as possible. And the fact he's got you involved, Joe, is awesome. Uh, thank you for your kind words at the beginning there. And getting a completely blind player involved in that is just great work there from Barney. A really interesting observation about people with visual impairments and imagining things getting a more visceral reaction from lurid descriptions and stuff like that that yeah that kind of makes sense to me i've been lucky enough to be involved in the play testing of that system and um yeah had such a good time playing that um barney's designed a game where we've been dropped straight well certainly in the sessions i've played him we're playing pretty competent characters to an extent. <laughs> um, what I mean is we have certain uh, talents, certain special skills at our disposal for dealing with these eldritch terrors. And although the these are nasty, nasty creatures we are coming up against, the idea is that we do have things at our disposal that will allow us to address the problem if we're smart about it, that is. And the the two sessions I've been involved in were recorded, and I'm hoping they're going to appear shortly as actual plays. So, uh, yeah, I'll probably get a kick out of listening back to that because, because a fun time was had by all. So thanks again, Joe, for some awesome, awesome calls there. Hey, Spencer. Daniel from Bandit's Keep. Um, you said something kind of interesting in your episode 168 um, about the immersion, I guess. And part of it was that you were talking about, like, imagining your own thing, even if it's not exactly what the GM is saying, which that that just really strung true for me, because I think for me as a player, although I'm primarily a GM, the most or the least interesting parts of any game is when the DM is going into very, very deep detail and storytelling. Uh, when they're sitting there telling me all this backstory or all these things, describing a room and every inch of it, 
in most cases, I'm not that into that. Uh, you know, telling me that it's an ancient tomb with, uh, you know, faded paintings or something gives me a great picture in my head. Describing every single picture, unless it's absolutely relevant, does not. So for me, I like a more vague. If, if the gym is overly descriptive, it kind of takes me out of it. It takes me out of character, I guess. It doesn't take me out of the game. I don't dislike it. I mean, sometimes gyms give amazing descriptions. And it's really cool to hear. Um, but, but I definitely feel like I'm more engaged in the game when I can create those images in my own head. So that's just for me. Um, I'm still finishing our episode to see what else you say. But I thought that was just that little tidbit was kind of interesting to me because I, I kind of agree with that part of it. Like I, I like to be able to imagine, which is probably why I don't lean towards highly tactical games. And I prefer, um, you know, the not having battle maps and stuff if I can avoid it. I prefer to basically theater the mind, as they say, right? Because I want to imagine the fantasy setting and not have it absolutely spelled out for me completely. Daniel Norton there from Bandit's Keep. And uh, thank you very much for those messages, Daniel. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Less Is More and allowing that space for people's imaginations to fill in the gaps. Although, yeah, having said that, if you've got a GM who is really good at describing things, one particular instance springs to mind, not necessarily a description of an environment, but um, I was playing in one of Andy Goodman's games and the characters were walking along with an NPC, was an old man who was recounting this story and I got so engrossed in the story he was telling us, completely forgetting about the rest of the game, where we were just completely wrapped up in this tale and that was all down to Andy's skill as a, a, a great storyteller and um, I certainly had no complaints about being caught up in moments like that but yeah not having everything spelled out for you not you know I, I'm not a big fan of uh, extensive well, anything really keep it light that's what I'm saying I'm into the whole brevity thing anyway thanks a lot Daniel Hey, Spencer, Jason here. Tired, lose my voice, but yeah, I look for engagement the way you describe engagement. I look for engagement instead of immersion for me personally. If I'm engrossed in the game and not worried about the time and not worried about what else is going on, which sometimes can be hard unless the dogs are asleep, but if I can just be engaged in the game and engrossed in the game, I am very, very happy. As far as VTTs, yeah, I've said that for a while now. I I really prefer just doing Zoom with with video and not doing battle maps or not doing any of that junk. Um, I will use it now and then, but for the most part, I prefer just to do the meeting, uh, just the you know with the, just the visual and audio. But good episode, and I will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jason. Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast there. And, um, yeah, I guess I don't really see a big distinction between engagement and immersion. To me, uh, immersion is just a, a level of engagement, I guess. There's no nothing particularly mystical about it. As for VTT, virtual tabletops, um, you know, I get the uh, the utility of them. I 
certainly have enjoyed using them. Certainly a great aid for any kind of tactical play. And, you know, sharing images and stuff. As I said, I'm not really against them. But I can have just as much fun playing in games without that stuff. We just straight up video chat. Even audio chat has worked fine in the past. I mean, that's certainly how Dave Aldridge runs a lot of his games. We'll have a, a Discord channel up for the occasional image. But generally, it's just straight audio. And that seems to work absolutely fine. Certainly been very happy playing games in that manner. Thanks for your call, Jason. Hey, Spencer. It's Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. Thank you so much for your episode about Dex, Arfed's game. That sounds really interesting. I think I would enjoy that because I would get that extra feeling of... Uh, involvement of managing my deck so it's not just strictly up to the chance of dice. So yeah, that sounds really interesting. I certainly can enjoy playing games where everything is, is randomized and, and none of the decisions are really mine. Yeah, you know, there's lots of board games like that, right? I think there's probably lots of card games like that too. I've just played more board games. But um, I do lean further towards the story end of things and I, I suspect part of that is that I don't, at, at some point, I don't enjoy not having any control over aspects of it that managing the deck would probably feel like I was managing. That's interesting. I hope I get to try that sometime. All right, I hope you and your family are well. Hey, Liren. Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere there, and um, always great to hear from you. I do hope uh, you and your family are well. And yes, I think you would enjoy that added deck management of decks i think it's you know it does add a kind of an air of something more tactile to the game even though you know it's a virtual deck i don't know if that makes any sense at all or if i'm just talking nonsense and liran mentioning storytelling games there now there was a bit of a conversation going on over at jason Connolly's nerds rpg variety cast where um well, actually, he, he was looking for definitions of rules light, rules heavy, and crunch. And I kind of threw a spanner in the works by talking about the definition of story games. And um, after a bit of back and forth there, Jason decided he was going to move away from using the label as he felt it was too nebulous. It, it, it kind of lacked meaning for him as it wasn't you know defined enough Liren is someone who very much uh, wears her storytelling badge with honor and I think the the perceived problem with the label of storytelling games whether a game is a storytelling game or not to my mind is not so much a problem of the label itself but how people choose to use it i guess when i think of a story game it comes back to that subject of immersion or rather engagement on what level you are engaging with the game in a more sort of traditional rpg you are engaging with the world as the character whereas 
the way I understand it, with a story game, you are engaging on a, a meta level. And the reason that players get to control narrative elements is because everyone is serving the story. Everyone is working within a narrative framework. The system itself is designed to hit certain narrative beats. A more traditional role-playing game, players aren't concerned with that kind of stuff. Story is essentially a byproduct of playing the game. I was listening to Jonathan Tweet on the Wandering DMs, and he was talking about the focus of a more traditional game being on task resolution. So, you know, what is immediately in front of the character? What does the character need to do in order to progress through the world? Whereas a story game is more concerned with conflict resolution, you know, sort of relationships between characters and stuff like that, which which did sort of make sense to me. Looking at the story as a whole and considering the sort of interrelational goings-on within that. Thinking about Sword and Scoundrel and why I consider that to be a storytelling game. Well, I sort of explained myself over on Jason's podcast, but that's enough about that. Um, thanks very much for your call, Ear, and And so glad to hear that you are now running your own game. Really pleased that you took the leap and, uh, well, you beat me to the punch there anyway. Hey, Spencer, it's Arlen. Listened to your most recent episode about decks. Sounds like you had a lot of fun with Darren's game. Uh, he sent me a PDF of it, and I looked at it a little bit and then haven't gotten back to him. So, Darren, if you're listening to this, um, sorry about not getting back uh, as quickly as I expected, but um, hopefully I'll be able to check it out soon and we can talk more about it. Um, but yeah, it sounds like it was a lot of fun, which is really cool. I really like uh, a lot of the ideas in it. Um, and yeah, that's cool. Uh, I was going to say about the Free League games, in almost all their games, they actually have a chart that tells you the probability of getting a six on however many D6s you roll. So like Basin has a chart for one to 10, what your actual percentile probability is for each rank. Um, just so that you know that obviously it's a little hard to do that math in your head. Um, at least for me, you know, uh, five, six times five, six times five, six, a couple of times, and then inverting that is um, not not the easiest, at least for me, um, although it's not super, super complicated math. Um, but I think it gives a good, one of the things I really like about it and that I like about a lot of dice pool systems is the um, sort of visceral, uh, tangible effect of being good at something, right? That if you're playing in person with real dice, there's a big, you know, it feels different to pick up three dice than to pick up seven dice, right? There's a sense of like, oh, this is something that I'm, you know, really good at. My character is going to, you know, kick ass right here because I've got this big handful of dice. Um, and that I think is really cool. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm going to listen to the one before, but take care, man. Arlen Walker there from live from Pelham's Wasteland. And thanks very much for your call, Arlen. Great to hear from you. 
Um, yeah, thinking about that kind of visceral nature of using a dice pool, I mean, that's one of the things that appealed to me about the PIP system, which is opposing dice. Essentially, you're rolling a large pool of dice that are of two different colours. And even before you roll, you've got a very kind of visual representation there of the the difficulty that you face. And uh, it's interesting that what you say, well, a little bit embarrassing about the uh, year zero odds, because, uh, yeah, having got Goblin's henchman roped into figuring all that out, and then <laughs> you pointing out that it's actually there in the book. And I've got Vesson sitting right here in front of me. Um, glad you enjoyed the Dex episode. I can certainly recommend getting in on a session of that if you can. And also, I, I've mentioned it before, Arlen is running a Shadow of the Demon Lord session, which is uh, for the last couple of sessions, at least, have been clashing with an ongoing game that I'm involved with. I'm hoping that's not always going to be the case and that hopefully I can uh, jump in there. Um, there's one thing about Shadow of the Demon Lord that intrigues me, and it's this whole uh, fast, slow combat, uh, because I've been reading the uh, Hypertellurians book, and that employs the same combat system. I mean, combat's broken down into fast and slow actions. If you choose to take a fast action... You go first, but you only get to perform one action. Whereas if you wait for this slower segment of the round, you get to perform two actions. And I guess I'm I'm struggling with that in my head, trying to, I don't know, get my head around the, the fiction of that kind of system. And maybe it's just the, the language of fast and slow round. That's, that's causing me problems because, you know, the idea that the characters who are acting fast actually get to do less. I don't know. I seem to be stumbling over that concept a little bit. But, yeah, if anybody's got any thoughts about that, I'd be uh, interested to hear them. But, um, yeah, thanks for your call, Arlen. Hey Spencer, it's Jay. I just uh, listening to your um, sort of towards the end of your episode when you're talking about engagement and immersion and stuff in gaming, and you were talking about how there are different elements of a game that engage you, and of course there are other things that you're not so interested in. Uh, your example was OSC and the shopping and um, and hireling stuff as not being so engaging for you, not something get you engage with very well. But um, you kind of understood that other players do enjoy that. And I thought one of the unspoken points that was worth perhaps picking out was the idea that when you're in a group, obviously it helps if you recognise the, the the difference. You know, like that that you like you engage well with these things, but not so much with those things. But that you at the same time respect the fact that the other players are engaging with different aspects of the game and therefore you're going to remain patient with those players. And I guess on a sort of broader point, I wanted to sort of suggest that maybe, you know, what makes for a really good player is a player who is willing to, you know, engage where they can and then not be 
offended, not be upset, not be grumpy about the bits where they're not as engaged and actually to gracefully fade into the shadows for a little while. I guess if the whole game is something you don't enjoy, then, you know, that's a problem. But if you can recognise the, the bits that, you know, you really engage with and the bits that not so much and you can just be patient with the players around you, um, graceful about it is the way I kind of like to think about it, you know, um, that would be really beneficial to everybody and it's okay. And I think also communicating this to the GM, so when you go quiet and you're disengaged for a while, the GM doesn't freak out and panic. That's also handy. You know, I like these bits, so I'm going to be quieter in those bits. But um, I don't know. It's just some thoughts that I might be making them. Game on. Hey, Jay. Great to hear from you. Jay Webster from Roleplay Rescue there. And I guess I possibly didn't highlight the importance of patience Maybe because it's not something I consciously do. What I mean is I do it unconsciously. And I guess what few virtues I might possess, patience is almost certainly one of them. And that that got me thinking about the question that's been going around. Um, I know Andy Goodman's spoken about it, I think, on Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks. Joe Richter of Hindsightless, Daniel of Bandit's Keep, an OBJ on um, Arcane Alienist, and most recently, Brian of the Have to Look That Up podcast. Those two podcasts there, incidentally, are new ones that I've been listening to and very much enjoying. Um, oh, um, uh, Tim Schultz, Goffridge Manor. Apologies if I'm missing anyone out here, but... Uh, yeah, the uh, the question they've been considering is, would you like yourself as a player in your own game? Or possibly considering that question the other way around, was, would you like to be GM'd by yourself? And I think, I wonder if, um, well, my initial thoughts were that I, I'm quite a passive player, at least I felt I was when I first started getting back into the hobby, that was something I had to work on perhaps. And I think I have kind of stepped up a bit more as a player in more recent games, been a bit more proactive. I do consider myself to be quite a team player and quite supportive towards the GM because I've yet to firmly seat myself in the GM chair. And I'd like to think that if I were running a game, I would appreciate players offering stuff to me and being quite decisive. And this also got me thinking about um, the whole um, that's what my player would do issue, which was mentioned recently over on uh, Biggest Geekus. The reason that whole excuse for being a difficult player as a cop-out not because you should be playing agreeable characters but because it's quite possible that i believe anyway it's quite possible to play problematic characters without being a difficult player you know it's quite possible for your character to be at odds with what the party is doing if you're offering up an interesting situation for the other players and for the GM, you know. So I do feel that I keep that kind of stuff in mind 
when I play, you know, what would my character do in this situation, but also what is going to serve the game. So, uh, yeah, thanks for your call, Che. Thanks for pointing out the importance of patience. And, um, yeah, thanks for prompting that little uh, digression. Cheers. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off the Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.